0: Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. Welcome to uh, Your Place Church. Happy that you guys are here. Fuller crowd today because the first service people made it to second service. Congratulations. That alarm change thing just messed some of us up. So anyway, we're happy you guys are here And uh, I did want to just kind of lob something out there for you guys. Um, In four weeks, listen to this, we are celebrating our 10-year anniversary right here. Amen. I love it. 10 years. It just does not seem like it has been that long since we launched Your Place Church. It was actually on April 12, 2009, we opened the doors for the very first time to the people of Mace County, and now here we are 10 years later. So we are going to celebrate that weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. I'm told there's an after party. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know all the details. I just know it's going to be really fun, and I'm going to kind of be doing like this little highlight where we've come in 10 years, where we're going in the next 10 years. It's going to be a great, great service, and so what I would like to do is I would like to invite you to make that weekend a priority. We really want to to blow it out big. I mean, it's a great month. We have 10-year. We have a couple of other things that we're doing that month, and then we have Easter that month. So it's like Easter is already upon us. So we are super excited about all that the Lord is doing, and uh, we believe that God is going to continue doing things here. Amen? So last week, we started a brand new series that we entitled Asking for a Friend, right? And so uh, the, 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 the bummer is no one showed up for that service. We, can, we canceled service. I woke up 6 a.m., I drove around on the roads. It was just white, powdery, flowy stuff. It was great. That's going to be, oh, no problem. But by 8 o'clock, it actually, that white, powdery stuff, had actually began to freeze. And because Oklahomans are super nervous about navigating the roads, if there's any kind of precipitation on that road, um, it became necessary for us to cancel service. And I know most of you guys, you know, you looked out your window about 11 o'clock last week, and you were like, roads are fine. We erred on the side of your safety, but what we did do is we actually posted the message that I was going to preach last week. I just did it live in my living room, and uh, so it was super cool. I had a fire going behind me, and we actually answered several questions that you guys have posted over the last few weeks just via the camera. And so that message is available at, at, at our Facebook, Your Place Church Facebook page. So if you want to go back, you can kind of see the answers to some of the questions. The questions that we picked out last week were, they all had something to do with this idea of how come my prayers aren't being answered. And so there were several questions, but they all pretty much had that same topic of, I've prayed and prayed and prayed, nothing has changed, what am I doing wrong, those types of questions. And so we answered that last week. So again, Your Place Church um, Facebook page, you can see that video, it's available for you. Today, we're actually, we're, we're going to step off the deep end a little bit. Some of you guys are asking thought-provoking questions. We always get to series like this, like I only do them every so many years, but I always get here and I'm like, ooh, that's, that's a good one. You know, that's, that's a good question. And we decided that we were just going to take a handful of similarly asked questions and put them together in messages. And so this week, some people have been asking, these are some examples. If a friend asks you, why do you believe in the Christian God, what's your answer? Great question. Another person said, when, you, when and why did the Bible become something that people worship? Another question, how do you even know that this is real and not a fairy tale? I like that one. Where did this book come from, referring to the Bible, and why are there so many religions that follow this book differently? Another person said, does God accept all religions Allah is the same name, isn't it the same God? And one thing that I love about Your Place Church, and I'm just going to be brutally honest, I love that we have people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different thinking can feel safe enough to come into a place, not feel judged, not feel condemned that they're wrestling with the thought of God, amen? They're wrestling with his word. I know so many of us, we feel kind of a, a conviction or even a condemnation if we, if we don't understand something in Scripture. And we feel like somehow God's angry at us, that we should just hook, line, and sink or just believe, believe, believe. And we don't, we don't feel like we have permission to wrestle with it. Can I tell you something? God's not scared of your wrestling. God's not like, oh, no, they're going to back away from me. He's not that way at all. In fact, he encourages your wrestling with his word. And that's what some of the questions represent today. They're representing a wrestling with this whole topic of God, of the word. One person says, how do you witness to someone that you're extremely close to, such as a spouse who's not been in church all of their life and not very open-minded about God or coming to church without being offending or causing confrontation? And the reason why I threw that that question into this mix is because there's a reason why a lot of people are staying away from church and it has to do with some of the formerly asked questions. They're wrestling with the topic of God, of his word. How do we know it's even true? We're gonna talk about that today. And so today's gonna be very studious. It's gonna be very scholarly, okay? I'm gonna give you facts and I'm gonna give you details And you're going to have to lean into it. If you want to know the answers, I'm going to give you answers that are going to answer those questions. But you're going to have to lean into this today, okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I thank you that you love people. Wherever we are in our journey, you love us all. And Father, I know that for some of us that worship at your place, church, God, we have questions. And we want answers to these questions. Fortunately, we have a book of answers. And so, God, I pray that you would lead us through your book of answers, and show us the truth so we can know the truth and be set free today. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've stayed at a hotel recently or not. I feel like Tyra and I, we stay at hotels all the time because um, we're also church planting coaches. In other words, we coach pastors all across the nation. And so uh, a lot of time that requires travel. And if you've stayed in a hotel, then I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but on the back side of every door to your hotel, there is a plaque there that says something to the tune of, in case of fire, then there's this little key of the floor that you're on, where you are, this is you, this is where your room is, room 207, right? In case of fire, and then there's a red line showing you the nearest exit, right? But I've always wondered because... You know, the, the elevator is right in the middle of the building, and you could have the room right next to the elevator, and you still look at the plaque, and it says, no, 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 don't, don't get on the elevator. I know that's the fastest way seemingly to you, but we actually want you to go out of your room, and depending on where your room is, we want you to go clear to the end of the hall, Right? Go all the way down those stairs. So if you're on the sixth floor, just stretch out because you're going, right? And that's presumably that there's even going to be a fire. I don't know how about you, but I just don't know of very many hotels that have caught fire. I, it's not something that happens all the time. But should it happen, right, then here's the, what we feel like the best way out for you is. Not the elevator. Even though every elevator has like a little key there for a fireman to use. So the guys who, who, who run into fires, they can use the elevator, but not me, right? That's, what, that's the way I understand it. And so here's my question. Like, why should I take their word for it, right? They said, this is the best way out. You shouldn't use the elevator. Run all the way down the hall and don't run. Walk. Like, walk. We don't want you to trample other guests. If the building's on fire... I'm running, all right? That's just the way it is. But why should we even take their word for it? And see, some of us, we think of that, we think, well, that's preposterous because there have been people who's researched burning hotels, and they have said, it's better for you to go here and get out of the building. And yet some of us have that same thinking when it comes to heaven and hell. You know, a lot of people, we live in a world that struggles with the the possibility of a heaven or a hell. Some people believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell. Some people believe that there's a heaven, but there isn't a hell. And then some people believe that earth is hell, all right? That's That's just what they believe. So we live in a world that would have us to believe that if there is a heaven and a hell, that all religions lead to the same place, right? Some people actually believe it really doesn't matter you know, what you believe personally because eventually we all will die and we all will go to a good place. In fact, that's the way that over 90% of Americans believe. It doesn't matter if you serve Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. If you live a decent life, when you die, you'll go to a good place. And at the same time, we go to schools and we go to universities and they tell us that it's fine to believe, or believe whatever you want to believe, right? But just be careful because even though all roads lead to heaven, be careful about this road. And then they're holding up a Bible. Because this book, I mean, you can believe what you want, just be careful about this book because this book is full of contradictions. This book is full of errors. In fact, This book is full of the supernatural, and we just know that supernatural things don't happen. So you believe what you want to believe, but just be careful about believing this book. It's a a, a book like any other book. In fact, it's not as good as some books out there is what they would have you believe. Politicians love to quote phrases out of this book and use them in speeches, but it's not something you should place your faith in. So we come out of our freshman year of college, and some professor has dismantled our Sunday school faith, and then we believe them because they have more degrees than me and they're smarter than me, and we just don't ever look ourselves. And then we get on in life, and because we've never examined the scriptures ourselves, we have adopted this belief that you know what, I don't really believe in Christianity. That book, even though I've never read it, even though I've never studied it for myself, even though I've never researched it, that book is not for me. And then there are some of us who have read that book, and it has changed our lives. And we're here on a Sunday morning, and we've gathered to worship the God of that book, so many of us, we've experienced a very real God in a very real way. So how is it that this book is so easily discredited, yet for so many of us, we keep reading it and believing it? There's Christians all over this city right now. They are, they are in church worshiping the son of the, this book. In this state, undoubtedly thousands of people in America, millions, in fact, a third of the world claim to be Christians. Why is that if the book is so full of contradictions as they say? So for the next few minutes, we're going to answer that question. In case of fire, do we trust the experts? In case there really is a heaven and a hell, which is the way to safety? Like, I just need to know. And a lot of people will ask me, Pastor Darian, do you believe everything in the Bible? And I know, what I know what they're alluding to, like the virgin birth, like that's impossible. Do you believe that like the water really split? That's kind of far-fetched. Do you believe that, you know, Jesus walked on water? It's a little hard for me to comprehend. Do you, do you believe that, Pastor Darian? I do. I actually believe that all of that happened. I don't believe it was figurative. I do believe that that the Bible uses some figurative language. Jesus used a lot of parables. But I believe that those accounts actually did happen. So I believe that. And I believe in it not just because I've seen some of that, but because of just the word itself. In fact, it reminds me of a story in, in the book of John, chapter 20. This is after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. He had actually appeared to several people after he was raised from the dead. And it seems kind of weird to them because it's kind of like that movie Warm Bodies, you know, zombies coming out of the ground. It's like, wait a minute, you were dead, bro. You were dead, now you're walking around. I go, what's going on, right? That's not what happened at all. Jesus actually came back to life. And one of his disciples uh, named Thomas wasn't there when all the other disciples were together talking about Jesus and him showing up. And so Thomas Picks up the story here in verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, look at this, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my fist into his side... Because if you remember the story of the crucifixion, they, the Roman soldier plunged a, a spear up into a side. There's a hole there. He says, I will not believe. And I think that in here, potentially in, in some of our services this weekend, there is a, there's a room full of people who may have the same mindset. The thought of a man dying and three days later raising back to life and walking around seems far-fetched. So... Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust the Bible? Are we just expected to have some blind faith, right? Well, in the Bible, in fact, I'm just going to take a portion of the Bible right now. I don't have time to get into all of it. So we're just going to take the Gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What they talk about in those Gospels is actually recorded in other places in history. They're they're the same events that have been proven by other various historical resources. And all of these various other resources record actual events that happen in history. And when they say what they say about Jesus is true, if what they say about Jesus is true, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if what they say about Jesus is true, then when Jesus talks about God... It's true, especially when Jesus predicts his own death. Does that make sense? A man who can tell you in a few days I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die and I'm going to come back and then it happens, there may be some truth to that. But can we trust the Bible? Where well, there's two things to keep in mind when you're talking about history, okay? We can't really prove or disprove things that have happened in the past. It's not a it's not a matter of proving them, it's a matter of looking at the evidence. I mean, we know this from being in a court, right? You don't prove anything, you basically provide evidence and the jury looks at the evidence and makes a decision. The trustworthiness of any historical truth is based upon the evidence, not proof. We don't have pictures. They didn't have cameras. They don't have video. No one is alive today that was alive back in Bible days. And so you have to kind of, you, you have to put, you have to find the proof is what I'm saying, right? You have to find evidence. And the evidence should, should, should lead you to the proof. It'd be like this. If you, if you got up the next, tomorrow morning, you went to the office and you said, hey, I went to your place church yesterday. And someone in your office was like, well, I don't believe you prove it. Well, I'm new, so they gave me a worship guide. Here's the worship guide. And they say, well, that doesn't prove anything. You could have got that from anywhere. I know people that leave that on the the little coffee table at the doctor's office. Well, I heard the message. I heard what the guy spoke that was up there. Well, That doesn't prove anything either. You could have heard the podcast. You could have watched Facebook Live. That doesn't prove anything. Well, you know, I could... I could, I could, Kyle, Kyle, didn't you see me there? You saw me at your place church this weekend, didn't you? Yeah, buddy, I saw you there. Well, that doesn't prove anything, you know, because you and Kyle could have like had a conversation and you could have been like, hey, just go with me on this one. You know what I mean? So it's actually not about the proof. You're not proving anything. When we ask the question, did something happen in the past, you actually can't prove anything. You can only provide what's observable and repeatable. And that's the way science is. We only observe, uh, we only make assumptions or decisions based upon what's observed and repeated, and you can't observe the past. So the question comes to, what is the evidence? And we make our decisions based upon that. The second truth about history is this. We have to ask ourselves the question not... What is the possible explanation? But we have to ask ourselves, what is the most probable explanation? When drawing conclusions, base your evidence on probability, not possibility. It's possible that you stole the worship guide. It's not probable. It's possible that you heard the podcast. It's even possible that you and Kyle, like, made an agreement, hey, just go with me on this, just lie, right? But it's not probable. What the probable reason is, you actually came to church this weekend and had a really great time. Did you know they give coffee away? It's like, great cookies, people were nice. That's what probably happened, right? That's why in the legal system, it's called probable cause, not, it's possible, because there's, There's 50 different possibilities. What's the probable cause? I was listening to Andy Stanley teach along these lines, and he was talking about he had gotten into a car wreck. A lady zoomed around the corner. He was stopped there, smashed right into the back of his car. And he said, at that time, I'm driving one of those big old American-made cars that had the big steel bumpers that went all the way around the car. And he says, when she hit my car, it did, did very little damage to to his car. But her car, she was driving this Volvo like the engine was laying on the ground, right? <laughs> the, the fenders were all wrinkled up. There was steam and fluids everywhere. Like, it was a bad deal. And so when it happened, he, of course, you know, it surged him forward. So he, uh, he knew he was blocking traffic. So he actually just pulled his car across traffic and parked on the other side of the road and could tell that she had called the police and the police were on their way, right? So he waited until the police came. And then... Before he could cross traffic to get where the officer was, he was standing there, and the officer's got his clipboard, and he's looking at this car, I mean, smashed, fluids everywhere, steam, things are broken. And then he's looking down here like this, and he's looking back at the car, and he's looking down like this. And Andy said he couldn't see what he was looking at until he crossed the road, and when he got there, there was a dead possum right in front of the car. And so the officer looks at Andy and says, did that possum do all this? <laughs> I mean, it's possible, right, that the possum, I mean, it would have to be a bionic possum, but did all of that damage, right? I mean, what if, what if as Andy crossed the road, the lady jumps out of the car and says, officer, officer, that man, when I was stopped at the stoplight, pulled a sledgehammer out of his car and just beat the ever-living... Beep out of my car. And then before you got here, a car pulled up next to him. He handed the sledgehammer to them, and they drove off. So he won't have the sledgehammer to prove it. I mean, is that, is that possible? I guess it's possible. What if she said, well, we were stopped here, and, and that man put his car in reverse, and several times he just smashed into the front of my car, and then he, he drove it over there. But when he comes here, he's going to tell you I hit him. Is that possible? I mean, it's, it's possible. But what, what's more probable is she came around the corner, didn't see him, stopped and smashed into him. He had a big American car with a bumper that showed very little damage. And her car was trashed, right? When it comes to an event in the past, we can look and come up with all kinds of possible situations. But the question is, in light of the evidence, what is most probable? What's the most probable explanation? It's like Thomas saying, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So as we look into the details of the, of the writing of four men writing four different accounts... They didn't get together and, and compare their stories. They're watching. They're observing. We come up with all kinds of possibilities, but the most probable reason that they all wrote the same thing is because it actually happens, and they just wrote it down as they watched it. So let's talk about history for just a second. For just a few minutes, I want to talk about history manuscripts themselves. And you're like, wow, I didn't know we were going to get a history lesson today in church. You ask the questions, I've got answers. The history books that we read in our, in our school systems, which is it's really great stuff. But here's what we need to know about history. Historians had bits and pieces of ancient manuscripts That they pieced together what they could, they wove it together, and then they came up with what they think is a fairly accurate account. This is what appears in our history books today. And we read that and we ask, well, well, how do we know for sure? There's no pictures, there's no videos, right? How do we know? How do they know that? Where did they get that information? Well, the answer is they got the information that we have in our history books from ancient manuscripts. And some of those manuscripts was written by a historian who a Roman ruler of the day paid him to write those things down, okay? And so I'm going to pay you to write my life story. Don't put in any of the rough parts, right? Like scratch out when I beheaded all of those people for no reason, okay? Scratch that out, or I'll scratch you out. Capish? You know what I mean? And so some of it is is a reflection of that. And one of the oldest documents that, that we have goes all the way back to the Gallic Wars. We actually have 10 copies of this document. Are you with me? The earliest version, are you with me? Do this, okay. The earliest version that we have of this first century experience is 900 A.D. So what happened in the first century, we don't have anything for the first century, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, right? We have a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy that's, that stretches all the way back to 900 A.D., and then we have another one that stretches back to 1100 A.D., and here's the problem. Nobody disputes its accuracy. It's a copy of a copy. We didn't have photocopy machines. They didn't put it on something, right? They didn't even have a printing press. They had a guy looking at that document and writing it down again. And that's how history has been passed down. Another huge find is by a a fellow of the name of Tacitus, okay? He wrote volumes of history, and it's history that we read about in our schools, and it's great stuff. He wrote 30 volumes of Roman history alone, divided into two groups of 15. Unfortunately, more than half of his work has been destroyed or missing. No one has copies of it. But we have two manuscripts that contain about half of his work, and we know there's more because he references them throughout the writings. And we know that there's 30, but we only have half, and we only have two copies of that half. So we have two copies dated all the way back to 900 A.D. and 1100 A.D., And again, recording stuff that happened in the first century, and it's a copy of something that happened thousands of years ago. But here's my point. There's not a student in school right now that if they walked up to their history teacher and said, "Eh, I don't believe that. I mean, that's just fragments of history pieced together, and then they kind of filled in the, the blanks. There's not one history teacher that's going to say, wow, I'm, that's, that's really encouraging that you did all that research on your own. Um, maybe the history books are wrong. There's not one history teacher is going to say that. You know what they're going to say? It's history. It's been written down. It's been preserved. You should write it down if you want a name. That's what they say, right? Why? Because no one disputes History then why do we dispute the Bible? Are you with me, friends? Why do we dispute the Bible if we're not going to challenge history at all, even though it's fragments kind of pieced together and we just kind of had to fill in to make it, you know, whatever? Wouldn't you expect something like Roman history to be something that survives the ages? The same thing is true when we have four detailed accounts of the life of one man who just happened to be a Jewish carpenter from Galilee, who didn't lead anything, who never personally wrote anything, wouldn't it be more probable to understand that four different guys wrote the account of one man and that we would actually have something that has passed down through time that has been hand-delivered to us? Are you with me today, friends? Listen, we actually have more recorded information about Jesus Christ than any of the Roman emperors of his day. Yet in all of Rome, with all of their wealth and their power producing this stuff, the most recent document we have is 900 A.D. We actually have manuscripts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we have hundreds of them that date all the way back to, not 900 A.D., we've got, we've got segments of the book of John that date all the way back to like 153 A.D., like actual documents. Valerie came up to me between service and said when she went to Israel, no, it was, uh, wasn't Valerie, it was uh, Nicole. Nicole was the one that came up to me. She went to Israel after her, uh, when she got saved, her, her, her church went on a missions trip. She said she saw the original parchment of the book of Isaiah. Can you imagine how surreal that was? We have guys who gave incredible detail of three years of one man's life. We have far more manuscripts of all of these. We have over 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. And these four books outweigh all of the original manuscripts in, in Roman history of all time not to mention the historical facts. What I'm saying is, we have very little that we're basing history off of. But we have volumes and volumes of original manuscripts that we're basing the word from. And people are like, why? Why, why is that true? Why, doesn't, why don't the historians talk about Jesus? And this is true. Go research this. Do not take my word for it. I've researched it, you can go research it. We actually have historians, so they they walked up to them, they handed them the original parchments, scrolls, somebody had wrote on, came to historians and said, we want you to preserve our history, will you write this down, translate it into languages so it can be preserved in the history books? And this is what the historian said. Before I look at those, and it's it's, it's widely known that some of them were atheists, before we look at this, I personally do not believe in the supernatural. I've never seen anything supernatural. My mom has never seen anything supernatural. And because I personally have not experienced anything supernatural, if there's anything in those that say anything about the supernatural, I'm not going to write it. And then he opens the scrolls up and there talks about a virgin birth. That's it. Supernatural. Parting of water, walking on water. Well, I, so, what they do is they discount the whole thing because I don't believe in the supernatural, so I'm not going to write about it. Are you guys tracking with me? It's a propensity against, or it's a prejudice against, the supernatural. That's the equivalent of me coming up to you and saying, I don't believe in the Holocaust. I just don't believe it happened. I mean, something happened, but it didn't happen the way you say it happened. And the reason why I don't believe that is because for that to happen like you say it happened, then there would have to be a level of evil, of racism that was so harsh that not only could I get a small group of people to believe in what I was doing, I could get an entire nation to believe in it. And because I've never experienced that kind of hatred, my mama has never experienced that kind of racism and hatred to that level. And no one I know has ever experienced that kind of profound, brutal acts of violence. I don't believe it happened. Now, you give me a few minutes and I'll tell you what probably did happen. And you would be like, I've got pictures. Like, we've got museums. How could you even think about the fact that that didn't happen? Like, well, it's because I've never been exposed to that. Do you see the line of thinking? So because I personally don't believe in the supernatural, I'm not going to write anything about it. And that's why it's been lost in history. Are you with me, friends? Most of the historians that wrote some of the... Now, not all of them. There are historians who were good godly men who wrote things down. But most of them had a prejudice against the supernatural. So here we are. We're in this moment. And we're asking ourselves the questions. Do we believe? Be careful not to place your belief system, what you've personally experienced, your 21st century belief system, be careful not to determine whether something's true or not true based upon your experience. Just because you've never seen something supernatural doesn't mean the supernatural doesn't exist. Now, my position on this, I have seen supernatural things, and you can't talk me out of them. I've watched blinded eyes come back to just right in front of me. I've watched people who, who've been hunched over like this with the form of osteoporosis be healed in a moment and their body comes straight up. And them not walk out, them run out of the room. I've watched it myself. And it wasn't a church service. No one was staged. We were in a park. Random people there. Students prayed for them and they got healed. I've watched people been healed of diabetes. They're like, how do you know? They go get clinical doctor's report saying, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and wean back your insulin. You don't need it anymore, but be careful. I've seen too much. So I happen to believe in the supernatural because I've seen things. But even if I hadn't, my experience doesn't change the gospel. Are you with me, friends? There's more probability that it actually happened than that it didn't happen. Amen? And we've got the data to prove it. Volumes and volumes of data. So, even though I've said all of that, I still haven't proved anything. All I'm saying is the universe is pointing to something, the universe is pointing to a creator. The universe is not pointing to something that exploded and then all of a sudden all of this happened. The universe begs for a creator, a designer, in all of its its design. So here's, here's Jesus. He recognizes this and it all plays out with Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I want proof. Verse 26, a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. It's almost like, what now, Thomas? Right? There's Jesus. Then he said to Thomas, hey, bro. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then look what he said. Stop doubting and believe. Look what Thomas did. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He believed. Verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. All I want you to hear today is be careful about drawing hard lines based upon your own personal experiences. He's real. Hebrews chapter 4.12 says, for the, the word of God is alive and it's active. In case this is really true, don't just form your opinion on what you have personally experienced this far. In case of fire, trust the experts. They've got the data. They've done the research. Amen? So I just want to pray with you today. I really do. I know there's people in the room that you've been struggling with this, and, and it's okay to struggle with it. So bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for your word, and we thank you that the entrance of your word has brought light and has brought understanding. And God, I know there's people in the room today that have been wrestling with this topic of if God is real, if you're real or not, if the word is something we can base our faith on. And Lord, thank you. Thank you that in a season and in a time and an era where there was no pictures, there was no photography, there was no video, there was no other way of actually writing it down Of actually capturing it. So you had four different people. In fact, the book is full of 66 different books in the Bible. You had men write things down and you've preserved it throughout history and safely and effectively have delivered it to us with, with everything we need. God, thank you for preserving that. Thank you that we have something that we can trust in that we can place our faith in. And right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're in the room and you've never accepted Jesus Christ in your heart. Maybe you didn't have enough information. Maybe you didn't know it was true until today. And you want to invite Jesus to come into your life? I'd like to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you stand up, come forward. We're not going to do any of that. This will happen between you and Jesus right there in your chair. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, you need Jesus, to simply lift your hand up and put it right back down. I'll pray for you, and then that's it. Thank you. Anybody else like that? I can pray with you today. Thank you. Anybody else? I can pray with you today. This is what we're gonna do. The Bible says to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and then you'll be saved. So I want everybody in the room to repeat this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And right now, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life, to wash away my past, to make me a brand new person. I'm choosing today to spend the rest of my life in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, give them a hand clap today. Such a big deal. You know, as, as we begin to get ready to worship God with our giving, uh, I had something I wanted to share with you guys about what's going on around here. In fact, our children's pastor, Drew, uh, led us uh, in prayer last week. And he brought a, a scripture to us. There's several staff in the room, several people who came for prayer that Tuesday. And he, he, t- he brought us to Haggai chapter 1. And it says this in, in verse, at the end of verse 5, going into verse 6. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And we were like, Drew, where are you, where are you going with the text today, bro? <laughs> and he was like, have we ever felt that way? When it seems like we focus on like building our careers and saving money and, and, and getting ahead in life. And it's like every time we get something, it just like, it just disappears like if we could just close a deal, if I could just get that client, if I, could, if I could just make that project happen, it would change everything for us, right? And then Drew took us to verse 7. It says, this is what the Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, the Lord says, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Which makes you think, because some people are like, God doesn't care about that church. It's just a building to him. No, 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 no. The Bible says that, it, that he wants to take pleasure in his house and be honored in it. And so what the Lord is saying is, you've been focusing on your life. Why don't you focus on building my house? And then that'll change everything. Verse 8 says, because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house, therefore... Because, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. Well, I think what the Lord's trying to say here is, if you'll focus on what's important to me, I'll make what's important to you flourish. And so by way of an update, we closed on our loan with our financial support provider last week, amen? So we got all the money. That we need to go to get to go forward so like so like brewer is like gearing up to go over here they got equipment showing up it's pretty cool um our guys all the guys that's worked on demo thank you you saved us like 25 dollars dollars by doing that that's awesome um but here's what happened the bids also came back last week or two weeks ago and the bids came back slightly higher than what we thought they were going to be so there's portions of phase one that we're not going to be able to do right now namely the offices for all the staff. And you guys are like, you guys don't need offices. It'll be awesome. What are we getting? We're getting the check-in, just like we said. The kids' theater is all going to be done. The brand-new foyer area, the new coffee shop, is where all that's going to be done. All the cool stuff that's going on out there, all that's going to happen. Just some of the offices are, are... We may just have to have some of you guys build the offices for us. But one thing that is not in the bid that we that we have to address right now is they're actually taking half of the air conditioning. All the air conditioning on that side of the room is actually from air conditioner units that are on that side of the building and they need to take it back out of this room and they need to dump it into all of that new space now. Which means, come summertime, this room is gonna have less air conditioning. And it gets hot in Oklahoma in July right in the middle of this, you know, into this project. And so I said, well, what do we need to do about that? And they said, well, the guy who's gonna do all the air conditioning wants to put a brand new unit here and he wants to put in all new ductwork into your auditorium during phase one. He says, it's about $40,000 job to get the unit that size and all the labor and all the work to do it. It's gonna be about $40,000 and that's not a part of our phase one project. And I said, "Well, if we do this, I want I want people to wear a light jacket in in July in my auditorium. Like I want it to get cold in there. I want to have icicles hanging from my iPad. Can you make that happen?" He said, "Pastor, we can make that happen and more for forty thousand dollars." And I said, "Okay. So we're gonna we're not putting the pressure on you. We're putting the pressure on God. It's His air conditioner. It's His building." But we believe that God's gonna speak to someone in one of our three services today and they're, gonna, they're just gonna write the check for that because they know we can't, get, we can't do that until that happens. And so we're just believing God. That's what we're doing. We're just believing God. And then we're believing God to pay for the $1.2 million so we can go right into phase two, which is an additional $1.2 million, amen? And so that's what we're believing God for. So stand up with us. We're just gonna pray. And then once we pray, we're just going to celebrate, we're going to worship God with our giving, and then you guys have a great week. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that you're speaking to us. We thank you, God, that you're, you're, you're moving in our finances, you're moving in our personal businesses, you're moving in our lives. And Father, it's because we keep our focus on you, and we want you to take pleasure in your house. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, we worship you with our giving, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay? Okay. So if you have children in the kids' areas, what they want you to do versus walking around into the normal area, if you guys will take the the golf carts and stuff like that, they need the church van. There's the key to it. I don't know why I had it. But anyway, there's the church van. If you guys can just, if you can just go all the way around to the tennis courts, And go in through the tennis courts to get your kids right now. They're actually dealing with a little something in that area. So God bless you guys. You are. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.